turn to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. The question that Paul has been answering in this chapter is how can we explain the fact that the Jews have not been recipients of God's blessing? In, in chapter 9, we have been seeing that, that it can be explained by looking at it from the standpoint of God's sovereignty. That He chose some over others based on His mercy, and He can do that because He is God and He has sovereign rule over everything. But as we transition to chapter 10, we start to, to see that the question can be answered from another perspective, not just from God's perspective that God can choose one over another, but actually we can explain it from human perspective. And that is that Israel has not been the recipient of God's blessing because of their defiance of God. They have failed to believe. They have lived in unbelief. Israel here is, is so privileged. I mean, we historically and even today, they are such a privileged nation and yet they fail to act on those privileges by and large, right? Not, not every single person, but, but for the most part, they have failed to act and, and to take advantage of those privileges. And this morning, we want to finish our passage from last time that, that we dropped off in, in verse 24 and then move on and look at the answers to the question, why is it that Israel has failed to receive God's blessing? So let me start for context with verse 23. God here is responding to this claim of unfairness. And he, he says, you know, I could choose these people, and what if I did that in order to demonstrate my power? And then verse 23, pick up there, and we'll go through chapter 10, verse 4. This is the Word of God. And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he also called, not from Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. As he says also in Hosea, I will call those who are not my people, my people. And, and her who is not beloved, beloved. And it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. For the Lord will execute his word on the earth thoroughly and quickly. And just as Isaiah foretold, unless the Lord of Sabaoth had left to us a posterity, we would have become like Sodom and would have resembled Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as though it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. This morning we're going to see that salvation comes by faith and not by works of the law. This is a theme that we 
that is not new to us in our study of Romans. But, but I think Paul wants to emphasize this over and over again so that we understand what salvation really is. That it does not come on the basis of our works. Because in this question that these Jews would have to Paul saying, why would God not give them the blessing? There is impl- implied in that questioning a sense that they, ha- they, they deserve something. Right? That they have a right to these things. And what God wants them to understand, what the Holy Spirit wants us to understand, is that our salvation is not based on anything that we have done, but according to God's mercy. It comes by faith, not by works of the law. So we want to begin by finishing up our passage from last week and, and refuting this final wrong answer as to why God, God's blessings are not on Israel. But at the same time, um, we, we are, are following that, we want to spend some time looking at the right answer. So let me just review here quickly, and then we'll move into our passage. The, the question is, why has Israel rejected the gospel when God had promised that Israel would receive it? If God promised that, that they would receive it, then why have they rejected it? Is it because God is unfaithful? Is it because God's promise has failed to them? And Paul says, no, it's not for that reason. Verse 6. He says, it's not as though God wor- God's word has failed. No, God never promised to save every single Jew, did He? That's the point. He promised to save the Jews, but He didn't promise to save all the Jews. And, and we know that from back at the beginning, right? If we go back to the very first uh, the beginning of Israel with Abraham, his two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, he chose Isaac but not Ishmael. So even though we have a physical descendant of Abraham, he was not chosen by God to be a recipient of his blessing. And if we think it's because you know those two were born and they had some works that they uh, uh, committed or, or contributed to God's choice of them, then we need to consider Jacob and Esau because God made his choice clear to Re- uh, Rebekah prior to the birth of both of them, before either one of them, the text says, before either one of them did anything good or bad. And so the point is, is if some Jews today are not believers and are not recipients of the promise, then, then the question that these people are asking is that maybe God failed on His promise, but that's not the case. The reason that they don't accept Christ and others do is the same reason that, that individual uh, Jews were not believers and others were. That it has nothing to do with whether they're Jewish or not, because remember verse 6, all who are from Israel are not all of Israel. That is, they're not all all physical descendants who are spiritual descendants. There are many physical descendants who don't receive the blessings of God. And the reason that one person, from the standpoint of God, the reason that one person is is chosen over another or is a believer over another who receives God's blessing and another doesn't is on the basis of God's choice. It's not that God was unfaithful. So the first wrong answer is that God is unfaithful. The second wrong answer is that God is unjust. That, that, that God somehow is, is not righteous in what He's doing. If God chooses one person over another, if God chooses you over your neighbor, then He must be unjust because He must give salvation to everyone. He must give mercy to everyone. And what Paul wants us to know in, in the Holy Spirit, I think as we saw in the text, is that God can have mercy on whom He has mercy and God can harm, harden who, whom He hardens. That God gives mercy to some, it's true, but, but God has the choice to give mercy uh, on the basis of His own uh, free will. So if God chooses one for good and He leaves another for evil, then the next question is, then how can this be fair? If God is the one who raised up Pharaoh, remember verse 16, 
or, or um, um, verse verse 17. If God raised up Pharaoh for this very purpose, so that that my power and wrath would be displayed through you, and so that my mercy would be known to the rest of the people of Israel, if if I did that, then then uh, then I have the right to do that. And what we could respond with is, well, God, that's not fair. Because if you allowed Pharaoh to to raise up in order to show your wrath on him, then that's not fair. And 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 the reason it's not fair is because there's no reason that you could ever find fault with him. You were the one who chose that he would be risen up for that purpose. How, how can anyone resist your will if you've already made the determination? And and what Paul responds with is in verses 19 and 20 is that. God is not unfair to condemn a person whom he hardens. That that God has never forced anyone, my understanding, God has never forced anyone to do what they didn't already want to do in their hearts. That is, that God hardens those who are hardened. God hardens those who are hardened. And then he he brings to faith those who believe. And and that sounds kind of strange, like, wait a second, well, why did I believe and they didn't? But the reason that we want to believe, the reason that we choose to believe, the reason that we make that choice is because God imparts to us a new heart, right? There is a new creation that's made at regeneration, isn't there? Where old things have been passed away and behold, all things become new. And so now the light has been turned on for us. We now see clearly what we didn't see before. That's why we respond in faith. And that's why others don't. Because God granted them the heart. But the point is is that we still have the choice. When God grants us that heart, He doesn't force us like a robot. You must follow me. He, he holds out the gospel in front of us, shows, it, shows us how beautiful it is. And with this new heart, we're able to see it for its beauty. And we respond with repentance and faith. So, Technically, when we ask this question, God, how could, how could you do this? How could you raise up one for, for mercy and one for judgment? Then technically what God could respond with in, verses 20, uh, in verse 21 is, you know, God doesn't have to answer that question, right? Who are we to talk back to God who is the potter? We are the clay. It's as silly as a Lego brick talking to his builder saying, why did you make me into this structure? Okay, God can do whatever He pleases because He is God. He's always right. And so technically, we, we, God doesn't have to answer the question, but in verses 22 and 23, we saw last time that He starts to answer the question, doesn't He? He says, what if I decided in order to display my mercy, I bore with people with great patience. I bore with children of wrath, effectively, with great patience. And I gave them multiple opportunities to repent. And what if I did that in order to magnify my mercy so that people who did respond recognize that I should be like they, like they are. That they are lost and destined for an eternal hell and love their sin. I should be like they are. But for some reason, God in His mercy decided to choose me, not on the basis of anything that I had done or have done or will do, but on the basis of God's grace. And and that's what God does in in salvation to those of us who believe. Is he holds out for us this great picture in the backdrop and the backdrop of this dark evil that's going on all in the world that that we should be a part of that evil and yet for some reason God says, "Listen, I'm going to make you 
one of my trophies of grace. And in the end, you're not going to be able to take any of the credit for it because it was all me. That is, I'm the one who, who gave you the new heart and brought you to salvation. Now notice in verses 24, we're now transitioning to this week's passage. In verses 24 through 25, the Old Testament confirms that God's plan included both Jews and Gentiles. Notice this, this plan includes uh, first um, the Jews in the second part of the verse that is not from among Jews only. So God has called some not from among Jews only. The point is, is he has called some Jews. This was the question. Well, wait a second, I thought you called all Jews. And God's saying, no, I never did that. But I did call some, that's clear. I did show mercy on some. But notice in the last part of verse 24 that he called some Gentiles as well, but also from among the Gentiles. And this is one of the ways that God shows his mercy is that that he opens up the gospel to more than just Jews. And isn't that one of the reasons that he raised up Pharaoh? Not just so that Israel would see and know God's great wrath and God's great power over his enemies and his mercy to his people, but so that all the world would know, including you and me. That's what verse 17 tells us. In fact, this is one of the reasons that the Jews as a whole are hardened to the gospel today. It's so that the gospel can spread to Gentiles like you and me. God calls people from the Jews. God calls people from the Gentiles. And then he takes, now Paul takes um, two passages from the Old Testament to prove that. He, he often wants to go back to the Old Testament to show, listen, this is not something new that God's starting a new program here. But that God had always intended to choose some Jews and some Gentiles. First we see that the Old Testament confirms God's calling of the Gentiles. The Old Testament confirms God's calling of the Gentiles in verses 25 and 26. Now this is a peculiar passage to use from Hosea. It, this, if you think about the context of it, Hosea is in this adulterous relation, or he's in a relationship with an adulterous woman. That is, she is an adulterer. He marries her. God says, "Go to her, Gomer, and and marry her." And then after they get married, then she goes back to her adultery. But God says, "Just keep going after her. Don't give up on her. Stay married to her." And so this is kind of a peculiar passage to use if he's trying to prove that God calls people from the Gentiles. But I think the point here that Paul is making is that when God chose to wed himself to Israel, to unite himself to Israel, what did they do? They were like Gomer, weren't they? They turned away from him. And they cut themselves off from him. And yet, what did God do? God was like Hosea. He kept pursuing her and saying, no, I've made a choice to make you my own, so I'm going to keep pursuing you. And I think in that way, the Jews in that situation were much like the Gentiles. That God calls people who are, notice verse 25, not my people. Those who are not my people, they have now become my people. And those who are not beloved, now are beloved. So it should not be surprising that God does this. That God calls some who were not his people. Because the Jews could say, well, wait a second, how can you include the Gentiles in this great blessing that was promised to Abraham? That was our forefather. And God says, didn't I do that to you? You once were not my people and I called you my people? I mean, go back all the way to the beginning. Why did God choose Abraham? And it wasn't because of anything good in Abraham. In fact, Abraham believed and that was credited to him as righteousness. It wasn't that he was righteous and God then caused him to believe. He believed and God credited 
credited it to him as righteousness. So God is not unfair in choosing some from the Gentiles. This was um, not much different from what happened in the Old Testament. In verse 27 to 29, the Old Testament confirms God call, God's calling of only some Jews. That is, God confirms that God ex, God confirms, or the Old Testament confirms that God excludes some Jews. Here, Paul uses two examples from Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 10, verses 20 to 23, the entire nation of Israel was not promised to be saved, but only a remnant. And and the promise here is that not all are who are are of Israel are descendants of Israel. They're not all spiritual recipients of Israel. And so he says in verse um, 27, though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea. So I called out a lot of people from Israel, but it's only a remnant that will be saved. They didn't all come. And then in verses uh, 28 and, or, or verse 29, he says, Unless the Lord of Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, had left us to us a posterity, a, a heritage, children, we would have become like Sodom and it would have resembled Gomorrah. This comes from Isaiah chapter 1, where judgment was promised on Israel, but some would be spared. And, and the fact that they, that, that God did not reject them, the fact that they did not become like Sodom and Gomorrah proves that God does have a place for Israel. So God has not rejected Israel. You know, we might look at today's circumstances. Paul, Paul's people might be doing the same thing and looking around and saying, wait a second, Israel's not at the center of God's program. God must have rejected them. And the fact is that Israel had always been at the center of God's program since the time of Abraham. But when Jesus came, they rejected Jesus, didn't they? Well, prior to that, they had rejected the prophets before Him. And then when the Son came, they rejected Him. And so what what happened? The Gospel went to the Gentiles. Not that Israel was rejected. There's still a remnant that God is protecting. In fact, you may know some Jews who are saved. I do as well that they are actually believing in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and that they will join in the kingdom with us. But there are many who have rejected. That doesn't mean that God has, has excluded them or put them away. He simply set them aside for a time. That is, as a whole, that He set them aside, the majority of them. And He's now moving to, to focus more on the Gentiles because the Gospel was not bound up in a people group. The gospel was bound up in a descendant of a people group. And it still is today. That is, the Jesus Christ who came from the Jews. That was what was so special about the Jews, was that Jesus would come from their race. And the fact that He mercifully chose some Jews and some Gentiles is an expression of God's mercy. That that it is not unfair for God to to choose some Gentiles and let them join in, in. And it's not... It's not unmerciful of God to reject other Jews. That is, to, to only select a remnant of Jews. It's completely faithful of God to Himself and completely just and unfair. So then we have to ask the question, then why is it that Israel is rejected? Just look around today. Look at the Israel as a whole. Why is it that Israel has not been the recipient of God's blessing? Right? The blessing was that, that through Abraham, through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And that's not happening right now. So what's going on? It is happening in a sense, right, if we recognize that that, came through, that Jesus is blessing 
the world through His coming. But, but in the sense of the people group itself, why is it that they have rejected God's rejected God and have 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 not received the blessing? And the answer is that that they are proud. Israel is proud. Verses thirty to thirty-three. The question about why the Gentiles received the gospel and the Jews rejected it is restated here. And the point of this section here is that God is responsible for the judgment of Israel in the sense that He planned it. So we think about it from God's perspective, God's sovereignty, God rules over all. And so in one sense, God will judge Israel because He planned it. He's the author in that sense of their rejection of Him. But in another sense, we need to think about it from Israel's perspective. And that is, here's the correct answer. It's not that God's unjust or or, um, unfair, but, but rather... It is that God, or, or that they have rejected God. They have, in their pride, decided not to believe in God's promises. Here's the facts in verses 30 and 31. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at the law. So here's something that is completely counterintuitive if you know the Old Testament. That the Gentiles were not pursuing after righteousness and somehow they stumbled upon it. And the Jews were pursuing righteousness, but they didn't receive it. How can this be? And the answer is there in verse 30. Notice how they received it at the end of the verse. Even the righteousness which is by faith. The fact is that the Gentiles received this righteousness that they, were, that they weren't looking for because they received it by faith. They believed in what God said. And that's what we have to do in order to receive that same righteousness. It is that we must recognize that, that this righteousness has to be a gift from God and that it is a gift from God. God, I can't do anything on my own. None of my works will satisfy what you require because you re- require that I obey the whole law. Because if I offend in one point, I'm guilty of all, so I can't do it. And that's what the Gentiles saw. Even though they weren't pursuing it, the Gospel was presented to them, they believed it by faith, and now they have it. But, the, but notice the contrast here, that the Jews did not receive this righteousness. Why? How were they pursuing it? In verse 31, But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at it. And notice why, verse 32, because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. So they're thinking, if I'm going to have a right standing with God, I need to pursue it based on this law that God has given us, the Mosaic law. And so what they're focused on was the law and not God Himself. So they used the law as a ladder to get to God instead of a mirror to see their sin and their need to fully depend upon God. That's what the law was designed for, do you see? It was never designed for them to be a ladder. So, so no one ever was saved by the law. Don't, don't think in the Old Testament, well, they were saved by the law, but now we're saved by grace. That's not the case. The law was never intended for that. It was always intended to be able to point us to our sin and show us our need that, uh, for God completely that we can't do anything on our own, that we can't fulfill this law. And so what happened to them in verse 32? At the end of the verse, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. That is, this gospel that was presenting to them, to them, 
presented to them that God gave Israel this promised Redeemer. That was the one on whom they should look and on whom they should build, make it the cornerstone of their salvation, right? But instead of using this great piece, this Jesus, as the cornerstone of their salvation, instead what did they do? They tripped over it, didn't they? They stumbled over this stone. And this was prophesied for us, wasn't it? In verse 33, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. <clears throat> Isaiah had prophesied. Had prophesied. See, Israel thought that salvation could not be that simple. How could it be in just a person? How could it be not on the basis of anything that I do? It had to include something that I do. So they build up this whole set of regulations and rules on top of what the Mosaic Law required and said, if I can just do these, then God has to accept me. And I will earn His favor. And But what God was looking for was not a performance, but faith. He was looking for someone to believe in His promises. And so let me just try to clarify this for you. Salvation has always been the same as it is today and it will always be. And that is that salvation has always been by grace through faith in the promised Redeemer. Salvation never came by the law. The only changes that have happened over time is we now uh, kind of see more clearly who that promised Redeemer is. Right? For, for Eve, Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, the promised Redeemer was the seed of Eve. And so that just could be a number of people, right? I mean, she may have thought it was going to be the next son, Seth. Maybe it's this seed that will be the one that crushes the head of the serpent. For Abraham, it kind of closes in the scope of who this promised Redeemer is. And we know that it's going to be from Abraham's seed that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. But, but it's not just from Israel that this seed comes, right? It's actually from David's line, we learn in 2 Samuel 7. That David, your throne will not, not end. It will last forever. Why? Because you're, the Messiah will, will come through your reign. We just sang about that in Psalm 2. When Jesus, uh, when the prophets came, they said that this promised Redeemer is, yes, he's, he's a seed of Eve, he is a seed of Abraham, he's a seed of David, but he is, his name is Emmanuel, God with us. And he will save his people from his sins. And then when Jesus came, we learn more about him, that he's actually a person, and he comes uh, from Nazareth, and, and that, that he died and was raised from the dead. And we have the scriptures that attest to his reality. And so we, we have a better focus than before. But, but do you see the gospel hasn't changed? Throughout all that time for Adam, for Abraham, for David, for all the people in between, and for us, it always has been, salvation has always been by grace through faith in the promised Redeemer, whether that was just someone from Eve's seed or for us, Jesus of Nazareth. Salvation is as simple as believing in what God has said Believing in what God has said and doing it. Just look at the end of verse 33. And he who believes in him, this stumbling stone, this rock, this cornerstone, he who believes in him will not be disappointed. No one who has trusted in Christ has ever regretted it. And the point is that Israel is not believing today because of their pride and their unwillingness to believe. 
their unbelief is not because God failed on His promise, not because God is unjust in choosing one or the other, not because God is unfair. It's because of their obstinacy and pride. And it's the same reason why people today are rejecting the Lord, because of their pride. So we need to finish here in chapter 10, verses 1-4 through by looking at what salvation is. And this is, again, a reminder of what we've seen before and, and really what I've just explained. But, but here in verses 1-4, through Paul expounds upon the guilt of Israel by showing that salvation is by grace through faith. Here's their problem. Paul prays here in verse 1, and, and what we see here, again, is a heart for Israel. You know, we might think of Paul as kind of cold and callous. I'm done with those people, even though I am one. I'm done with, with my people group, right? I'm going to go to the Gentiles. But instead here, what is he doing? He's grieving over them. My heart's desire and my prayers for their salvation. Chapter 9, verse 3, I wish myself accursed. If I could get all of Israel to come to Christ, I would gladly go to hell for them. So Paul is, is deeply concerned for Israel. and he, So he's not gloating over their unbelief. Instead, he prays for them. And the content of his prayer in verse 1 is for their salvation. He recognizes that if there's going to be any change in an individual in Israel or the people of Israel as a whole, it has to come from God. And so he prays to God for his grace. Israel's lost condition is seen in their willingness to be zealous, but not in a zealousness that is in accordance with knowledge. Notice verse 2. They have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with with knowledge. And, and we should learn from this that zeal and sincerity and pursuing righteousness, pursuing after God, those things do not guarantee salvation. Because a person can be sin- sincere, right? But be, can be completely lost. And this is a dangerous position to be in. Imagine a person who believes ze- zealously that he can fly with no special equipment or machinery, by simply jumping off a building and and sticking his arms out. See, he's completely zealous, right? But his zealousness will lead to his death. And when when we relate that to our salvation, we have to admit that God will not accept us on, you know, it's a thought that counts. He kind of looks at us and says, well, you know, you were pursuing after me. That's good enough. He's not going to say, well, at least you wanted to have a relationship with me, even though you didn't know how to do it, or you didn't do it the way that I explained that you should do it. No, our zealousness, just like that man who jumps off the building, will fall flat in the court of God's justice, won't it? God will not accept us on the basis of zeal alone, but on the basis of what that zeal is focused on. That is, on the knowledge of God, the knowledge of His revealed Word, specifically His Son, Jesus Christ. Notice Israel's problem explained in verse 3. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Again, this highlights their pride and their obstinacy, unwilling to accept what God had said, unwilling to accept the righteousness that God offered, trying to do it their own way. And the bottom line is, in verse 4, that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. This rock of offense, chapter 9, verse 33, is Christ. This stumbling stone for the Jews is Christ. And He is the end of the law for righteousness. He's the end of pursuing the law. Why? Because He satisfied the law completely. 
The fact is, is that salvation never came by the law. Galatians 2.16 says, By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. And so what, what Paul is saying here in verse 4 is that, that this end is the culmination. It's the culmination of the Old Testament law. It doesn't mean that we're not under any laws. It doesn't mean that we can just be free to live how we want. It's, we're no longer on the Mosaic law because Christ satisfied that law perfectly for God in our place. who does Christ complete the law for? Notice the end of the verse. For everyone who believes. That's it. That's all God demands of you. He doesn't demand that you, you know, pay penance for all the sins that you've done. You know, we, we, we just finished singing to God be the glory, you know, even the vilest offender who truly believes is the one that God saves, isn't it? That God doesn't require that we go back and pay penance for all the bad things that we've done. God doesn't require that we stack up a a long list of good works and then once you do that, then I can accept you. He says, here's all you have to do. I'm going to present the gospel to you. You accept it. Just believe it. Am I faithful to my promise? Will I follow through on that? If you trust in my Son alone, and I promise that you'll receive eternal life, for that, will you be saved? And the Bible screams loudly, yes. All we have to do is believe. That's all God requires. It's repentance and faith. So, principle to consider here as we finish. The gospel is the message for all people. The gospel is not confined to the Jews only. It's a message that God has graciously opened up to the Gentiles. We don't fully understand why Israel has rejected Christ, but we do know that God has used their rejection to cause the gospel to spread to Gentiles like you and me. And consider the book of Acts and how the gospel spread geographically. Right, The apostles start in Jerusalem with this gospel, this great message about Jesus Christ, and they begin planting churches. And they started with a church there in Jerusalem. And then what happens? The Jews, for the most part, some Jews believe, but for the most part, they rejected. The leaders did for certain. And they began persecuting Christians. And so what did the apostles do? Some of them stayed there and and held the fort, so to speak, there in Jerusalem. But do you know what most of them did? They scattered out geographically. Not because they they were scared or something like that necessarily, but, but because God was opening the doors to more and more people. And so what happened? The gospel started to spread out from Jerusalem into Judea, other Jewish regions. But then the gospel was still rejected. And as a result, the, the gospel spread more and more, not only throughout Israel, but throughout the whole world. Paul is saved around that time that this persecution is going on, right? And he goes into each city. And what's the first place that he goes to? Synagogue, right? Why? Because he knows that that God still has this message for the Jews and He has a heart for the Jews. He wants to see them saved. But when they reject Him, what does He do? He says, well, fine, it's, you know, you, this is still offered. The offer's still on the table. But, but I'm going to the Gentiles. In fact, he's call, He calls Himself the Apostle to the Gentiles. And so you may be distressed and perplexed over Israel's rejection, rejection of the Gospel. But I hope you realize that it's because of their rejection that God has allowed the gospel to spread around the globe, even to here in Michigan 
or wherever you grew up and heard the gospel so that it could reach your heart who you may not be a Jew, right? And if you are a person who has heard the gospel and responded with faith, then, then don't you see how this highlights God's mercy? That even in Israel's rejection of God, it's caused the gospel to spread to more and more people like you and me. And all we can say is, praise you, O Lord, for your grace. Let's pray. Father, we are amazed at your glory. And when we stand before you, with our sin, clothed in our sin and unrighteousness, we stand condemned. But Lord, we're thankful that we don't have to do that because on the basis of your mercy and our faith, Lord, you clothe us, clothe us with the righteousness of Christ. So now we no longer stand condemned, but we stand justified. That is, that we have our sins applied to Jesus' account and He took them upon Himself on the cross. And His righteousness is applied to our account. So that in salvation, You see us as completely righteous. There's no more that we need to do to add to that in order to be accepted by You. There is no more argument or no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died for me. And so we praise You for Your grace and salvation. Lord, help us to consider it more as we reflect on what we've looked at this morning and and continue to praise You for Your grace. This is a, a great response that we can have as a result of being reminded that salvation does not come by our works so that we cannot boast, but it's according to Your mercy. It's all by grace through faith. And Lord, all of the credit goes to and belongs to You because You are merciful in our salvation. And we praise You for it in Jesus' name. Amen.